0: I would ask that you would uh, open God's Word this morning and turn to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. We're going to find ourselves in Ruth chapter 2 and we are uh, at the halfway point in this 12-week series out of this four-chapter book. And as I told you at the beginning of this series, we are going to spend the rest of the summer looking at this incredible story of love and redemption. As we unveil this four-chapter story, this ancient story, We need to understand that even though it happened so long ago, that it has timeless applications and ramifications for our lives today. And our attention in our study falls this morning on Ruth chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. If you'd like to find that in your Bibles, Ruth chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. Now, two weeks ago, before I even speak about two weeks ago, there's a lot of people that uh, are comparing Mario's preaching to my preaching and saying, Mario gets a lot said in a short amount of time. And he said, uh, he didn't say, they said that uh, you need to learn from Mario how to get a lot into a short amount of time. I said, Mario gave me another half of a sermon to preach, so I'll preach a sermon and a half this morning. So bear with me. I'm just kidding, but... I want to thank Mario and the youth for serving us last week. There's nothing greater than seeing the next generation of Christians rising up and using their giftedness, whether it's through music or song or through the preaching of God's Word. But two weeks ago, as we come back to this series of Ruth, we saw the providence of God moving in the life of Ruth as Ruth is brought to a field that is owned by a man named Boaz. Now we see on that day that Ruth and Boaz meet for the very first time, and something amazing begins to happen. And we learned two weeks ago how Boaz takes care of the needs and begins to minister to this woman Ruth that he had just met, and then how Ruth responds as a result of it. Now, we learn just like this earthly Boaz, we have a heavenly Boaz who takes care of us, who takes notice of us and shows amazing favor to us, even though we, like Ruth, are foreigners and who deserve nothing. Yet our God, just as Boaz in the story does, protects, he guides, he even communes with us as Boaz did with Ruth. Now our text today gives us the outcome and the circumstances that come as a result of the grace and mercy that are shown to this woman, Ruth. So let us stand as we read together God's Word and as we then ask for God's blessing on our time in His Word. Ruth chapter 2 verses 17 through 21 says, So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an epoch. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Verse 19 says, Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That this man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers till they finish harvesting all my grain. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and as your people, we open your word, the living and active word of God. And Father, I pray that we will never be the same again as we encounter your truth. Father, I pray wherever we may be, that this passage in Ruth would transform who we are, that we would be reminded of your grace, but not just reminded of the grace that you've shown us, but that we would be reminded of the truth to share that good news with all those who will listen. So, Father, I pray as we come together and as we hear from you, I pray that has already been prayed that my words would not be your words and that Your words would come out loud and clear this morning. Keep us from distraction. Keep us from allowing our minds to veer to the left or to the right, but allow us to center ourselves on Your Word. Thank You for Your Word, for it guides us and leads us to the way of everlasting. We love You and thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When was the last time that You were given some great news? Maybe for some of our seniors in high school, maybe it was that acceptance letter to that college that you were hoping would accept you. Maybe for some of our parents it was yet another upcoming arrival of a baby. Maybe it was a positive result to a medical test where the doctor comes in and you're thinking the worst and all of a sudden nothing but the best comes out in the news. Maybe the good news came in the form of an answer to a long-lasting prayer request. Maybe the good news came in the form of some kind and encouraging words from a friend to you in your time of struggle. It may have involved a promotion at work. It may have also involved that your baseball team has beat up on the other baseball team in town. I don't know what the good news may be, but no doubt we as people love good news. Good news seems to have a way of lifting our spirits and encouraging our hearts No matter where we are or who we are or what we've experienced, it seems that we as a people thrive on the prospect of good news. That's what hope is all about. If you think about it, we have been given a hope as Christians. That hope is the prospect of good news that is going to come on behalf of the believer from our God. As a result of that, we find ourselves being drawn to the prospect of good news. Now, if you were to go on the Internet and you were to Google this phrase, I've got some good news, you would be listed uh, hundreds of websites, forums, where people come in and they just begin to articulate to the world, I've got some good news to share. And you begin to read them and it talks about promotions at work. It talks about a wayward child coming home. And there's just hundreds of forums that begin to share where people want to get the good news out about who they are. I don't know about you, but every time I receive good news, there's always a response to it. That response that I have when I get good news is not just to hold it in, but if you're like me, you want to announce it to the world. As soon as you hear that good news, you don't want to think and meditate on it. You want to get it out as fast as you can or you're going to absolutely burst. Well, how does that fit into our text today? Today we come to yet another transitional passage in this story, this narrative, that we call the book of Ruth. And it's the part of the story where Ruth has been gleaning in the field of Boaz. She has met Boaz, and Boaz has shown her amazing kindness and generosity. And our text brings us to the place after that interaction with Boaz that Ruth heads home that night. So she's been in the fields for a day, and she comes home, and Ruth is going to show us how, or I'm sorry, going to show Naomi how Boaz has shown favor in her field of dreams. And I will tell you, we can learn a lot from Ruth because we too have been shown generosity and kindness from our heavenly Boaz in our own field of dreams. The Bible talks about sharing good news. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul tells uh, the Roman people that how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Yet sadly in our world today, Christians... Uh, remain quiet about the good news of Christ. We remain silent while every type of parade and every type of announcement comes out. As celebrities say that they're changing certain lifestyles or uh, certain sins are promoted or loved, we, the people of God, allow our mouths to remain closed instead of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So I began to think about that. And I began to think what words would encourage the hearts of people The people of God to spread the good news. Well, there's a great theologian by the name of Frank Sinatra. And he says that we can apply some of the words that he sung. He sang a a song that said, it's time to start spreading the news. I'll tell you what, there is great biblical truth in that very secular statement. It is time to start spreading the news. We, the people of God, have grown lax in our desire to go out into the harvest fields and to spread what God has done in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that we are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that we may declare, announce, proclaim the greatness, the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and brought us into his wonderful light. We have been given the job of being announcers to the people of this world, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, some may say, I, I want to spread the good news, Tim, but how am I to do it? I will tell you that in this Old Testament passage, evangelism is being just poured out of this passage here. Because we are going to see how Ruth announces the good news to Naomi. And there's three things that we see. First of all, the first thing that we see is that we are called to start spreading the news, first of all, about a plentiful provision. A plentiful provision. Look at verse 17 and 18 with me. It says So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an epaw. She carried it back to town, and her mother in law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Let's stop there for a moment. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Ruth goes and begins to glean in the field of Boaz. Now, she has asked permission to do that. We talked about what gleaning was and how it was the welfare system for the people of Israel, that the people, the landowners in Israel in that day would leave the corners of their field unharvested so that the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners of their day would be able to come and grab and take to feed themselves. It was a food pantry, if you will. So Ruth goes to Boaz's field and asks for permission, but she gets so much more than that. She's fed, she's guided, she's taken care of. And we see that he loves her and pours out his love upon her by guaranteeing her success and allowing her the prime location behind the harvesters. And as a result of that, he even tells his harvesters, he says, Hey, when you're harvesting, don't rebuke Ruth. In fact, what I want you to do as you're harvesting is literally drop handfuls of grain behind you. And as she follows you, she's going to pick all that up. So she is being incredibly gracious and saying, I'm going to give not just what I'm supposed to give, but I'm going to give so much more. In fact, I'm going to command my workers to make sure she gets all that she needs. And that's what takes place. We see that Ruth comes back, and she has a provision that is amazing. And there's three things about this provision I want to look at. First of all, this provision is designed to satisfy. It is designed to satisfy. Now, the text tells us at the end of this unbelievable day in the field that Ruth gathers an epa of barley. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what an epa of barley is. I looked at a couple of different Bibles at the bottom of the page, and they all say different things. Commentators are, are, are not sure exactly what that would mean. But as I looked at it, it would be about uh, 12 two liters of barley. To get an idea in our modern day, it would be 12 two-liter bottles of pop full of barley. Now, that would have been about a two-and-a-half-week um, ration for two women to eat. This would have been enough food to take care of them for some time. One day of harvesting. Now, commentaries tell us that it would have taken four women in an incredibly awesome day to harvest all that Ruth had harvested that day. This was an amazing harvest that we need to understand an epa of barley now here's the amazing thing when ruth left for the field that morning she went just to get enough for her to have a meal this was not you know i'm going to go to the new aldi down the street and stock up and all the things and put them into my pantry no she went to make sure that her and naomi would be able to eat for a day that's all she was expecting and she got so much more and how true is that when it comes to God? How true is it that when we go into the field of God, we find that we don't just get what we need for the day, but God gives us so much more. His generosity like that of the earthly Boaz is so great and so profound that we come back having more than we could have ever done with three or four friends with us. So here we see this blessing, this earthly blessing that he takes place. Now, Not only do we get earthly blessings from God, let's say God was to take away all your earthly blessings... Think about all the things that you hold to, that God has given to you, that you have, that you can feel and touch, and you take all those away, I will tell you that God has still given us so much more. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. He doesn't say with a couple spiritual blessings. He doesn't say with many spiritual blessings or three quarters of the spiritual blessings. He says, and you don't even have to exegete it out of the original Greek. It says every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been given everything we need that God has given us because of the blessing he has given us in Christ. That is the picture that we are seeing in the story of Ruth. She is being taken care of in amazing ways and it's going to satisfy her need. So she shows up to her house And she goes and talks with Naomi. But one thing we learn as she's probably heading home, the thing we need to remember is that Ruth all of a sudden doesn't become rich. She doesn't all of a sudden become free of any need of assistance. Ruth still is incredibly dependent on Boaz. The great prospect that Ruth has as she comes back is not that she has two and a half weeks of food, but that she still has someone who says, come on back when you need more. What a picture of God. When we come to know Christ, I know that there are some that walked into their relationship with Christ, and before they met Christ, everything was wonderful. You had all the money you needed, all the, uh, all the things were taken care of, your kids were uh, doing uh, good, and everything seemed to be going well. But then you meet Christ, and it seems that financial disarray comes, and depression and other issues come about, and your kids start rebelling, and you're struggling, and you say, wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to be happy and wealthy and healthy, When I accepted Christ, it is so untrue, that statement. And we fall into that, especially into our consumerism of America. God doesn't promise those things. In fact, many times when we come to know Christ, many times our lives will become more difficult. I watch my neighbors and my friends and family that don't know Christ, and it seems that everything seems to be going well for them. But here I serve the Lord and what happens? Issue and trouble and turmoil seem to abound in my life. Like the life of Job, a righteous and upright man in all the east. And what happens? God allows incredible, horrific things to take place in his life. But what does that teach us? It teaches us that though we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, that we still need to be dependent on God. We can't forget that. Ruth wasn't going to say, well, that was my one shot in the field of Boaz. I don't need anything else. I've got everything I need, and I never need to see that guy again. No, but it was a guarantee that if she ever had to go back, there would be a more than enough to take care of her each and every time she went. What a lesson for us as Christians to know that God, while He's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, that does not mean we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I'll see you later. See you on the other side of heaven. And I'm going to go do this thing on my own. No, what happens is even though He's given us everything we need, He says you need to keep coming back day after day. And that's what we see. And that's how it is satisfied. Jesus invites us, just like this heavenly Boaz, to come. And just like Boaz, we find rest in Jesus. He tells us to all to come who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says, all that are hungry, come and I will feed you. He says, all to who are in turmoil, I will give you peace. Ruth has no other choice than to be dependent on God. This dependence on God is of such importance as a people in America where we have things like credit cards and bank accounts, where we have 401Ks and we say, if any trouble comes, I'll be able to take care of it with this or that. But understand this, we need to be dependent on our heavenly Boaz Because as we uh, harvest in this world, we better make sure that we're harvesting in the right field. The prodigal son found himself saying, you know what? I have all I need. Father, give me the inheritance that you have for me and I'm out of here. And there's a lot of Christians that think they can live that way. Give me my inheritance and I'm gone. And they go and they burn it on the things of this world. And then they find that there is a day where there's a famine in the land. And in that day, there is nowhere to turn in the earthly world, an earthly kingdom, but only to go back to God. Some of you today need to come back to God. You've been harvesting in other fields and you've found some success, but I will tell you, every time that we harvest in the world's fields, there will always be a famine that will come. And just like Boaz, we have a field where there is plenty where we will be satisfied. The second thing we see of this provision is that it is designed to show. It is designed to show. Verse 18, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw, that's an important word there, she saw how much she had gathered. She saw how much she had gathered. Imagine for a moment. Now remember, nine times in this text, in this whole uh, uh body of work called the book of Ruth. Ruth is called the Moabitess. She is constantly reminded that she is a foreigner. She is reminded that she has nothing when she gets to Bethlehem. And so here in this first day of gleaning, imagine with me for a moment that she is walking back with 12 two-liters full of barley or grain.
1: That would have been an
0: amazing thing. In that day, you would not have seen a person who is gleaning walking back home with all that. She would have had something very small. But there she is. And I believe that as she walked back through town, I'm sure it wasn't just everybody's inside, nobody's seeing her, but I'm willing to speculate that there were probably some that saw the kind of harvest that she had. But the text doesn't tell us that, so we're going to work with what Naomi says. And it says, Naomi saw what would what had been brought back. This is of great importance. The reason why it's of great importance is because the harvest that we're given, the provision that we're given, isn't just for us to hold back. Imagine for a moment that what happens is, is when Ruth comes into Naomi's place where they're living, wherever it was, whether a tent or some sort of cave or maybe even a dwelling place, we're not sure what it was. But let's say she walks in and she's just with... Hey, Naomi, I'm back. I gleaned. What's that, Ruth? What do you have there? Oh, oh, mother-in-law, nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about it. Goes and puts it under her bed. Or maybe, let's say, she comes in whistling again, and Naomi says, Ruth, what do you have there? Look at all that. And she says, hey, mother-in-law, were you out there gleaning with me? Were you? I didn't see you out there. I didn't see you sweating and toiling like I was. So you know what? You want some? Go get some. I don't see that. Maybe she comes in and she says, Naomi says to Ruth, Hey, Ruth, look at all that you have. And Ruth says, Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? Here's a quarter. Here's just a little. You got. If you need more, come and talk to me. Maybe I'll give you some more. None of that is found in the text. What does it say? It says that she saw. There's an idea in the Hebrew of amazing astonishment. And the expression that must have been on Naomi's face, these are people, these are two women that are in need of food. This isn't, you know, hey, we'll go out shopping and, well, you know, the, the steaks weren't on sale this time and the vegetables, they were a little high priced, the melons a little squishier than we like them. This isn't what's happening. This is we need food, we need it now or we're going to lose our lives. They needed the food that came. But what happens is, is we see that out of the kindness that Boaz gives, there is a showcasing going on. Let's stop there for a minute. Because in the showcasing, we never hear, and you you usually don't hear a preacher say, it is time to start showing off who you are as a Christian. But I'm going to tell you, in fact, that yes, it is. It is time for God's people to show off. Now, the the prerequisite to that righteous showing off is that you're showing off the right things. If you're saying, hey, look at how God has blessed me with this house and this car and all that, then you're showing off the wrong things. And that's prideful. And God will deal with you because of that pride. But that's not what Ruth does. There's a showing that's going on. And and what it always goes back to, if you look at the text, it doesn't show off Ruth's ability to glean. You never see in the text where she says, Naomi says, wow, look at that. An Epoch, Barley, you're amazing, Ruth. Wow, and Ruth says, you know, yeah, it took me a little while, but you know, I really started working hard, and about noon, things really started moving. I told you, those Moabite women were strong and were very effective in the fields. She doesn't say anything like that. Nor does she say, look at what I've gathered. But look at what it says in the text. It says that it's pointed back to a giver of grace. That is huge. It has nothing to do about Ruth. It has all to do with Boaz. How does that apply to us as Christians? We are to showcase, we are to show the goodness of God, not what we have done, not what we've accomplished. We need to articulate how God has answered our prayer, how God has healed our marriage, how God has taken care of the needs in the hour at hand. We need to articulate to people that if God is for us, who can be against us? But how do we do that? We don't do that by saying, but you know, look at what I've done. God helped me a little, but I took care of the rest. That's not what we're to showcase. But we're to say, praise be the giver of all the gifts. For God is the giver of all good things, and he showers them down from heaven, the book of James says. He's the giver of all good things. And we need to, with our our, uh, spotlights, be showcasing the God in heaven and saying, look at my Savior. Look at what He has done. It's not about me. It's not about the messages I preach or the small groups I lead or anything like that. It is about the grace and mercy of the sovereign God that we serve. And she shows that. She says, look at this harvest that I have. The next thing we see is it's given... It's designed to share. It's designed to share. Now the text says that not only does Naomi see how much she had gathered in verse 18, but then it says Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Remember what I said, what the response might have been if Ruth would have said, hey, eh, go get it yourself, if Ruth would have said, you know, you can have some of it. She gives all of it. Not inclu- not just the barley that she harvests, but she also gives the gift that she was given. Remember la- uh, two weeks ago, Boaz brings her over during mealtime and he says, come on over, and he starts dipping some bread and he's handing it to her and he's feeding her right off his plate. And she there says that she had all that she could have, and there was still some left over. We have that in our world today. You go to Chili's, you go to a steakhouse, and what do they do? They bring you a doggy bag. And that's what Ruth brings. She brings home an Old Testament doggy bag, all right? I don't know how it was put together. Maybe some Old Testament aluminum foil or some sort of foam carry-out container. And she doesn't just give her what she toiled for, but she also gives what she was freely given. And she says, here, mother-in-law, not only did I receive this from the field of Boaz, but Boaz also, he fed me. And as a result of that, I want to give you what I have. So many times we as Christians go the route of playing out that scenario like I did. What we begin to do is God is gracious to us. First of all, He's gracious with us in our salvation. And what happens is as we go and we say, you know what? When people ask me about where I uh, go to church or ask me how involved I am about, about Christianity, I'll give them just a little bit. Just a little bit. Hey, Tim, do you go to church? Yeah, yeah, you know, just like you go to church. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing more than that. Hey, Tim, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Well, what do you think about this? And we kind of just hedge our bets, if you will. And we don't want to articulate too much because we don't want them to think we're some Jesus freak, some Bible banger. We don't want them to think that we're some crazy Christian. So what do we do? Well, yeah, you know, yeah, that that interests me. The Bible interests me and we don't go any farther than that. That would be the same as Ruth coming and saying you can have a little bit of the barley. Or we go and we look down our Christian noses and what do we say? We say, if my coworker would stop drinking that beer and stop smoking and doing all that stuff and partying like that, if he would just stop it, then maybe he might meet Jesus. You know what? He just needs to quit what he's doing. Then he might meet Jesus. That would be like saying to Naomi, you know what? You go get the thing taken care of. You go take care of it. Instead of just being gracious and saying, let me just share with you Jesus. I was blind, now I see. I was hungry and he fed me instead of pointing your finger at someone and saying, you clean yourself up, you go do the work, and then come. She gives it to Naomi. She gives all of it, all of it, even the hidden things she gives away. But sadly, many times, we as Christians find ourselves only giving a fragment to that. Is God calling you today to give away Something that you have. Something that is so near and dear to you. Think about it. Ruth comes and she's in a foreign land. She doesn't know anybody but her mother-in-law. And some amazing thing happens. And the first thing she does is she heads home and she wants to give it away. When was the last time you received an inheritance? When was the last time you received something and you just said, You know what? I want to give it away. The grace of God should teach us to give away the things and to share it with all. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's your testimony. But why are we called to do it? I want to give you a couple of reasons. Write this down. It's not in your outline. There's a couple of reasons why we should do what Ruth does. First of all, it encourages those who are feeling hopeless. Remember from our story uh, a couple weeks ago, we read about uh, Naomi's bitterness. Remember, Naomi comes back from Moab, and she's ticked off at God. And she says, God, you've dealt severely with me. You've dealt bitterly with me. For my name is not Ma- uh, no- uh, Naomi anymore. It is Mara, for I am bitter. I mean, this woman's ticked off at God. She's mad. And what, is, what happens? Ruth comes in, and look at Naomi's response. She starts blessing people. He's just saying, praise God. Praise God for the man who took care of you. Praise God for Boaz, for he has not forgot the living and the dead. It has changed Naomi's tune. You know, when you start giving away some of the provision God has given, whether it's the gospel or whether it's some possession or earthly blessing God's given, it will change the tune of the most bitter and angry person you have ever met. That person at work that you struggle with, that family member, try giving them something out of the kindness of your heart and see what happens. Naomi is a changed person. But it also does something to us. Write this down. Not only does it give hope to the hopeless, but it also allows us to remember the grace that God has shown us. It reminds us when we begin to give, we always are reminded that it's God who gave it to us in the first place. When we go, and, and, and this is a perfect application, it's when we come and we give our money in these boxes, it isn't because God needs our money. God isn't sitting there saying, oh, I hope Tim puts that check in. I, does he know I wrote all those checks? Does he know that? Does he know we've got a credit card, heavenly credit card bill and Michael kind of went off on the shopping spree and we've got some bills to take care of? God isn't thinking that. But what does God want us to do? He wants us to give back. Why? Because every time we give back to God, it is a reminder that God is the giver of all good things. And we say, in response of all that you've given, here is a portion back so that I am continually reminded of how you give all that I need. That's why we give. Not to build buildings. It's not to take care of the lights. God will take care of all those things. But it is a reminder that we are people that have been given so much grace. It's a reminder. Let us be reminded of that. Because every time Ruth spoke of Boaz's goodness, she would always be reminded that it wasn't what she did in that field, but it was what Boaz did. It's a plentiful provision. Next we see it involved spreading the news about a particular person. Ruth chapter 2 verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The uh, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Now like a good mother-in-law, Naomi asked the question that teenagers hate to hear. Where have you been? That's what Naomi's asking. Now, notice, teenagers, I'm going to look at our half of our teenagers over here. Notice that there is, what are you talking about, where have I been? It's none of your business, Naomi. Get off my back. Do you hear any of that? Adults, do you hear any of that? Do you hear Naomi nagging teenagers saying, tell me where you've been? Where have you? Were you over at that guy's house again? Where were you? You tell me. Do you hear any of that? No, she just said, yes. (laughs) Do you hear any of that? No. It's just asked once. What an incredible communication between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. She said, where have you been? I'm excited. I want to hear about your day. Parents, let us... And, and I know that I'm not there yet because Noah doesn't leave our sight yet, okay? He does. He may never, okay? He may never leave us. But I, I know that my parents... We're very, And I was a rambunctious kid. My parents gave me room to have freedom to be able to make decisions. And I will be honest with you, I didn't always make the decisions my mom and dad wanted me to make. But they gave freedom. And my parents would always give me the uh, benefit of the doubt that what I was doing during my day was always productive. W- what would you do today? It never was the hand out, finger out saying, where were you? But kids also be reminded of this, that that is because of trust. And there were times where that finger would come out because I would break the trust of mom and dad. And as a result of that, then questioning would come. We need to have parents and kids relating like this. That's not in the outline, but I think it's huge. We need parents and kids that can trust one another, articulate with one another, this is where I've been. This is what I've been doing. Now let's get back to the thing. There's my side note, parents, kids. God bless you. Good luck. Now let's go back to where we're going. She comes home. And she comes home and there's something different about her. Look at the response that's given. In the Hebrew, there are exclamation points all over the place and the kind of tenses of words that are being used. She is excited about what she sees. She sends Ruth out to glean. And she knows as an Israelite, there isn't much you're going to get from gleaning. Hopefully you'll get a meal out of it. And here comes the woman back with wheelbarrows full of barley. And Naomi says, wow, look at all this. This is amazing. Where have you been? Tell me, this, this is good news. And she articulates it. Why? Because there was something different about Ruth. Now, I want to apply that parallel of this, uh, loosely to us as Christians. There must be, when we walk in the field of grace, people of God, there must be a change of who we are. That when we come out of God's field of dreams, if you will, that people look at us and say, Wow, where have you been? There's something different about you. You went out empty, but now you're full. What is with that? She praises the giver without even knowing who the giver of the grace is. Notice, she doesn't even know it's Boaz yet. She doesn't even know the name, but she sees by whatever had transpired that Ruth was a different person. Do people see you as a different person in your workplace? Do they see you as a different person in your neighborhood? Do they sit there and they say, wow, it is amazing how uh, the Free family is different than all the other neighbors. It's amazing how the Wood family does this instead of that. It's amazing how Ray treats his wife Nina and he doesn't treat them like that. It's amazing that that when uh, Roger at work, the employees are all looking around and as they're whistling at the cute ladies walking by, Roger says, I want none of that. It's amazing that Terry Lucas at the electrical uh, workplace is finding himself when, when uh, jokes, off-color jokes are coming in, and he says, you know what, guys, I-, I don't want to hear any of that. And people say, wait a minute, there's something different about you. Now, notice what happens because a person is identified. Ruth doesn't just sit there and say, well, uh, yeah, something is different about me. Yeah, I did some things. Don't worry about it. Uh, there's a field and, and a dude, but it's none of your business, and it's no big thing. You know what we do in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods? People say, why don't you drink? I don't like to drink. I don't want to get drunk. You know, it's, 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 it's not good for the kids to see that. Uh, why aren't you whistling at the cute ladies walking by? Well, my old lady will get mad if she finds out I'm doing that. Why don't you go and, and, and go and pursue the things of this world? Why don't you do that? You know, well, my parents, they were part of the Depression era, and they, they've learned how to save and how to make sure that there's always enough. That, you know, I, I don't know about you, but those answers come to my mind very often. Not the Depression thing. My parents weren't living during the Depression. But, but those thoughts come to mind. Instead of saying, the reason why I don't do those things is because my Father in Heaven has called me to a life of holiness. And because of that, I'm going to live my life in accordance with it. Why don't I drink and become drunk? I don't drink to get drunk. Why? Because God commands us not to be drunk with wine. Why do I not look at the pretty girl that walks? Why? Because God, Jesus Christ himself says, if I look lustfully on a woman, that I have slept with her in the physical realm. And you know what? God says we ought not have that kind of sexual immorality in my life. And that's why I live the way I do. She points out a person. Look at what she says in the text. She says, the man, the place, the field that I was in was the field of Boaz. She articulates right away the reason why I'm a different person is because of Boaz. He's the reason for the difference that I have in my life. Now she begins to tell us about this person. First of all, she says that this person was a person who was interested Now you would say, Tim, uh, where do you apply this in the New Testament? This idea of of articulating the reason uh, why we live the way we do. I want to turn you for a moment, before we get into this interest of the person, to uh, 1 Peter. Go to the back of the Bible, to the book of 1 Peter. I moved a little farther ahead in my notes than I wanted to. And I want to articulate this from what Peter tells us. 1 Peter chapter 2. Why are we to tell people that there's something different about us? Because God says something amazing will happen. 1 Peter chapter 2. You get to the book of Revelation, move your way back through the book of Jude and uh, the three Johns. And then I think it's Second uh, Peter and then First Peter, if I remember right. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at what it says in verses 11 and 12. Dear friends... I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Why, Peter? Why should we do that? He goes on, he says, keep living such good lives among the pagans. Why? Why should we live good lives among our neighborhood, our coworkers, our friends, that though they accuse you of doing wrong... Even if they don't like you, even if they think wrongly of you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Ruth articulates, even before there is a man named Boaz involved, she articulates something that Naomi already has glorified. Here she comes in, she's a changed person, and Naomi starts glorifying someone she doesn't even know. Let me tell you something, when you show the goodness and the kindness and the provision of God in your life, in your workplace, and in your neighborhood, people are going to start glorifying someone they don't even know. They're going to say, I want to be like them. I'm not sure why, but they seem to have it pretty put together. They seem to be open and honest about their issues. And they rely on something that I don't have. Where does that peace come? Where does that comfort come? I want what they have. And in doing so, the pagan is announcing to God that your ways are better than our ways. And they don't even know they've announced it to the God of heaven. They don't even know it. So here comes Boaz. Here's the name. He's interested. Now we see that he's interested. How was it? Look at what it says in verse 19. Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She doesn't even know yet it's Boaz, but she says, Blessed be the man who took notice of you. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 19, if you want to underline in your Bible, underline the phrase, who took notice of you. That is an important statement. It conveys the idea of paying attention to something, to acknowledge something. Naomi knows that what Ruth has brought back is more than she would have ever been able to glean on her own. So she says, tell me who was nice to you. I know you never could have done this on your own, so tell me who helped you. And and begins to articulate that. Who took notice of you? Now this idea of notice doesn't just involve paying attention, but it involves becoming It involves becoming involved, okay? There you go. Use the same word in the sentence. Twice. It involves being... I did it again. It involves being involved. We're moving on. It involves being involved. Now, what does that look like? As I did a word study of that phrase, to take notice, the best way to articulate it would have been in 1994 when I was in a broadcasting class by the sovereignty of God, because I wasn't even majoring in any kind of broadcasting, this girl named Amanda Masenko walked into my class. Let me rephrase that. I walked in late to class and saw Amanda sitting in the chair. And I took notice of her. Now understand that it wasn't, wow, oh, there's a girl I'd like to meet. There's a girl I'd like to get to know. No, my notice said I am going to do everything in my power to get to know that girl, even if it means I've got to stop everything else I am doing. I stopped. Every, it, may, it was amazing. And maybe, husbands, you understand this. It was as if my world stopped. And and for a guy that needed to be on Ritalin all his life, that, that never happened. Okay? The world stopped. Everything just kind of got in slow motion. And, and you know the story. Middle of the class, I come in late and I say, you know what? Uh, would you go out with me? And she said, no, go comb your hair. And, I went and when I had hair, I went and combed my hair. And I came back and I said, well, would you date a guy like me? And she says, what are you doing? The teacher's teaching. And I embarrassed her. And I found out that was her Gary Chapman love language, embarrassment. And I embarrassed her. And, and, and she loves me now today. But I took notice, I hope so, took notice of her. All of you that go and say, Are you okay with Tim and that? Yeah, she's fine with it. She loves it. It's her love language. Okay? I took notice of her. But it wasn't a one time thing. When Boaz took notice of Ruth, please hear me. It wasn't, Hey, there's a helpless case here. I'm going to help her out. But next time, go find help on your own. What happens is, is he took notice of her. And there's some even appearance issues there that Ruth was a pretty woman. And so what Boaz is seeing is saying, yeah, this is a pretty girl. But he also saw her need, takes care of her need. And it's not just a one-time thing, but he became involved in the situation. And he says, I'm not just going to take care of you this time, but it's going to be my sole purpose in life to get to know you and to take care of every. Need That you have. Well, how does that involve us? We have a particular person who became interested in you and I. We had a particular person before the foundations of the earth who became interested in who you and I are. And He looked at us with great affection. Before we were ever born, He looked at us and He loved us. And He poured out His love. He took notice of us. The psalmist says, Who is man that you are mindful of Him? The Son of Man that you will care for Him. Who are we that God would love us? Who are we that God would take care of us? We are nothing but Ruth in the field of dreams. And God says before the foundations of the earth, I love you. And not only going to love you today, but I'm going to love you every day in your life. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. And that is the kind of love that Boaz shows Ruth. It involved a particular person. We have a particular Boaz. His name is Jesus Christ, and He loves us. And it's not because of what we've done for Him, but because of His grace and mercy He pours out His love upon us. Finally, we see that it just doesn't involve uh, His involvement and His interest. But we see it involves a promised purchase. It involves a promised purchase. I want you to turn to, again, the book of 1 Peter for a moment. Hold your finger in the book of Ruth. One of the elements of this purchase is that Boaz doesn't hand off the issue to anybody else. Boaz doesn't say, okay... Ruth, I really like you. I've taken notice of you. you got some needs I need to take care of. Okay, uh, Johnny College, remember Johnny College, the guy with the clipboard a couple weeks ago? Hey, you make sure you take care of her. Everything she needs, you take care of it. No, what Boaz does is he goes and he involves himself in that situation, and that is the first part of the purchase. You cannot have someone go and buy something for you in this text. You have someone coming in and taking care of it himself. That is what Jesus does For us, 1 Peter 5, look at verse 6 and 7 for a moment. Humble yourselves, therefore... Under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due times. Right now you may feel like God isn't involved in your life, that God doesn't take care of you, that even though he's purchased you, he's not really interested in what you're doing because bad things are happening. He says, look what he says, that he may lift you up in due time. In his timing it will happen. Now look at what he says in verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he finished it for me. Cares for you. Now look at what it says in verse 10. And the great God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. Look at what it says. Underline if you do that. He will Himself restore you. Who's the one that took care of the needs? Boaz doesn't say, hey, I'm going to get involved in this situation because I'm interested. But he says, I'm going to take care of it myself. Jesus involved himself by restoring us. And it began with the purchase of us from our sin now, this purchase involves a couple of things. Look at what it says in verse 20 of Ruth 2. Go back to Ruth 2. It says, The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, for he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living, Naomi and Ruth, and to the dead, Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion, those that had died. She added... That man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemer. Naomi tells Ruth, this guy isn't just a nice guy, but he's a relative. Now, we knew that because the author gives us that information. We know at this point more information than uh, Naomi and Ruth do. Because we know that the guy's name is Boaz. We know also more than Ruth that he was a relative from chapter 2, verse 1. Now, here's the amazing thing, because this is when the story takes off. God leads Ruth to to a field to glean. It happens to be Boaz's field. Boaz happens to be there that day. Boaz happens to take notice of Ruth. Boaz happens to be gracious to Ruth. And just just as it happens to be the case, Boaz is related to Ruth and can be a real source of help in that time. Well, how does that happen? Well, this is what we introduce. This kinsman-redeemer is the law, the Levirate law of Scripture. Now, this was a name of an ancient custom that was ordained by Moses, this kinsman-redeemer idea. And what it meant was that when an Israel man died and left a wife without any children, the surviving brother of that man was required to marry his widow as to continue his brother's line uh, to continue the name. Now, there's some women that are rolling their eyes right now saying, I am glad I do not live in Israel. The prospect of me losing my husband and having to marry his brother is not the most appealing thing to me. But look at what it says in Deuteronomy 25. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 25. Let's understand this kinsman-redeemer thing. Deuteronomy 25, you're in the book of Ruth. Go back, Judges, Joshua. The book of Deuteronomy is there then. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of the brother-in-law. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel." This was to redeem. There was a redeeming process here. That's why they call it the kinsman redeemer. It was to allow for the line of that dead relative to be taken care of. Now we got Naomi and Ruth. Naomi has no children of her own now. Malon and Kilion are dead. We know that Ruth had no children coming back to Bethlehem. These two women have no sons to carry on any name. And they've got Boaz. He's a kinsman redeemer. Now, What would happen in Israel is not everybody followed this law. Look at what it says in verse 7. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow uh, shall go up to him in the presence of the elders. And I need to have two people come up here because listen to what it happens. We need to act this out. He's to take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what you've done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. And as a result of that, after spitting in this dude's face, that family's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. You don't want to be called unsandaled in Israel. It was not a good thing. And, and it just and it keeps going. That's a great part. If you want to read through the book of Deuteronomy, Leviticus, there's some neat stuff in there. You have fun with that, all right? So this is what happens. If no one is willing to take care of her, this is a curse amongst the person who does not take on the wife to be his own. But it involves a couple of things. Because we're going to learn a little more about this kinsman-redeemer later. But it involves, first of all, a revival. I've got to close this thing out. So it involves a revival. The custom allowed for something that was dead to be revived again. Where it looked like there was a dead end in the family line, this kinsman-redeemer relationship involved a revival. The prospect of Naomi hearing that Boaz is the one that has shown kindness changes her from bitter to being one of great joy. Why? Because she knew that the dead end in her life may have had a way out. There was a reviving of her heart. Next we see there was a redemption. There was a redemption. When Naomi hears that the name Boaz, she gives two responses. First of all, he's a close relative. We were told in verse 1 of chapter 2, he is from the clan of Elimelech. He's a relative on her husband's side. But to fit the role of a kinsman redeemer, as we're going to learn later on in the text is that there are three requirements. First of all, he must be related. Boaz was related to Naomi through Elimelech. Next, he had to be able to redeem. We are told that Boaz was a man of wealth at the beginning of chapter 2 and that he could take care of the needs of these widows. And finally, he needed to be willing to redeem. I think that's what excited Naomi the most, the prospect that here Boaz gives her so much that it was the picture that I am willing to take care of you. Now how does all that fit in this revival and this redeeming? We have, and this is why Boaz is called our earth uh, Jesus is called our heavenly Boaz because we have one who is 100% God and he became related to us by being born of a woman under the law that he may redeem those under the law in due season. So Jesus comes, he leaves heaven and he comes down to earth for the process of doing what? Not to sit there and say, "Oh, you know what? Uh, you need to be redeemed. I don't know who's going to do it. No, Jesus says, I'm going to do it. And so he lives a life 33 years, spotless, free of sin, so that he's able to redeem. Because if Jesus sinned but once, then he would have been unable to redeem us from our sins. Then the question is, is he willing to redeem Jesus endured the cross, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, for the joy set before Him. He didn't sit there and and God the Father and God the Son didn't have this conversation going, you have to go. But I don't want to go, God, but you have to go. But they're a bunch of ruined people, God, but you have to go. No, have you seen what they did? None of that happens. For the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, dying for you and I. That is why Jesus is our kinsman, Redeemer. And what takes place at the end is we see that there is this picture of refreshment. Look at what it says in verse 21. It isn't just a one time thing. He doesn't just isn't just going to redeem them but there's also in this promised purchase this refreshment that takes place. What he says is, in light of what I've done for you, now continue to glean and continue to take all that you want to make sure your needs are taken care of. How does all this fit into play? We have been given the greatest gift of grace the greatest thing, the greatest news that we've ever been told. And the problem is is we are so quiet about that. We'll talk about everything else but the gift of grace that God has given. And what God is saying is, Be like Ruth, articulate what I've done for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to close with one of my favorite hymns in the hymnal. And the hymn reads like this, To God be the glory, great things He has done, So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. What's our response to that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear His voice. Are people hearing Your voice? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. What does that bring? Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and let us give Him the glory Great things He has done. Has God done great things in your life? If so, let us stand and sing with all our hearts as we close out our time together great things our God has done for us. Let's sing together.